Hello everybody and welcome to New Hope Community Church. This weekend, as we carry on part 4 of 40 Days in Prayer, I want us to look at the idea of praying in five dimensions. But first, I want to review a couple of important truths. So if you take out your outline, that would be a great time to do that. You can pick that up on our link in YouTube. The first thing I want to talk about is God is a multi-dimensional God. A multi-dimensional God. So your fulfillment in prayer and your fruitfulness in prayer is dependent not on how much you necessarily know academically about prayer, but how much you know about God. The more you understand God, the more effective your prayers will be and the more satisfying your prayer life will be as well. So it's not all about learning all about prayer. That's important, but more important than that is understanding and recognizing that God is a multi-dimensional God. That's a fact. And you can observe this in different ways. You may want to write these down. The first way we see it is in God's creation. We see it in God's creation. And that means the God who created a multi-dimensional universe is a multi-dimensional creator. And there are dimensions that he made that we scarcely know anything about. From the nanoparticles, smaller than quarks, to the Bible talks about the spirit realm, which is invisible. And we don't see it, but we learn about that dimension in the Bible. Now, the Bible also talks about creation, which we do see. The first part we don't see and the parts that we do see. So the Bible says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen in what has been made, so that men are without an excuse. Now, this paradox can't be missed. God's invisible qualities are clearly seen. Well, how? Creation shows us a God of extraordinary power and intelligence and attention to intricate detail. Doesn't matter whether on a macro scale or a nano scale. There's order and there's beauty and there's amazing creativity in design. And Paul is saying in the same way, when we observe a beautiful painting, that leads us to conclude that there was an artist behind the painting. In other words, there's an artist that penned and planned and conceived creatively of that painting. Inks didn't just come together magically and well, lo and behold, there's a painting. And he also thought, therefore, observing a magnificent creation like we see on such a glorious day like today leads us to conclude that there is a supreme creator. Now, this is part of the truth that unsaved people clearly see everywhere they look. But they also suppress that truth. That's what the Bible says. Psalm 19, verse 1 through 4. The heavens declare, they speak forth the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. What are they saying? Night after night, they display knowledge. See, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. 
he goes on to say, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Friends, heaven gives us a dramatic evidence of our Father's existence, his incredible power to bring something out of nothing. And his love and his care is clearly seen in the way he carefully balances all that we need for life in this world. Everything on earth and in the universe shows design, it shows intricacy and orderliness that point to a personally involved creator. So whenever you have a design, you've got a designer. And when you've got a designer, you have information. And where you have information, everything that we've learned on this earth shows us there's a mind behind it. And we see design all around us on, again, the macro scale in the heavens or on the nano scale, like in DNA. DNA cannot be seen by the eye, for example. Yet it stores more data than the most advanced computer systems and storage devices today. DNA, for example, and Microsoft have been working with this for a long time, stores up to 680 petabytes of information per gram. No more long hallways of hard drives because the world's information will fit in a shoebox. That means all of Google and Yahoo, and think about those photos, think about all those videos, if you stored it in DNA, would fit in something the size of one shoebox. That's the storage system our creator designed, way in advance of anything we've got. Let me put it in a bit more pragmatic way. The message, the DNA message found in just the cell nucleus of a tiny amoeba, which is the simplest known cell, is more than all 30 volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica combined. And an entire amoeba has as much information in it, and this, remember this is the simplest cell, as 1,000 complete sets of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Well, that's actually 30,000 individual volumes. So, it's reasonable to say that we can learn a lot about God in nature. Theologians call that natural theology. So the Bible says we are without excuse. To me, friends, it takes far more faith to be an atheist than to be a believer. It takes way more faith not to believe in God than to believe in God. Now, there's another way we see God's multidimensional nature, and that's in Jesus' incarnation. We see it in Jesus' incarnation. Christ, who is the eternal word, the eternal Logos, who came to earth as man, but he is God. Look at this, John 1.14. The word became a human being, and he lived among us. We saw his glory, and he was full of grace and truth. Friends, Jesus, when he became incarnate, didn't just appear like a man, he became one. Humanity, in other words, was added to Christ's deity. So the Son of God became a tangible representation of the Father in all of his glory. So if you ever have trouble understanding God the Father, you only need to look to God the Son for all we know. The fact that God can be God and God can come to earth as a human being means he is multidimensional. Now, one of the evidences of this fact is what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. Here it is. 
Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you know anybody like that? Are you going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever? Friend, you weren't even the same this week as you were last week. Why? Well, probably because you added a few more wrinkles or a few more gray hairs. You're not the same. Over time, we all change. But Jesus Christ doesn't. He's the same all the time. He served faithfully yesterday by dying on the cross to make atonement for our sins. And he serves faithfully today, as the Bible says, interceding for us at the right hand of God the Father. And he will remain faithful forever. So because of what he's done in the past and what he does in the present, he's sufficient for any believer's need. Any need that you'll ever have. Friends, Jesus is multidimensional. He's neither bound by space or time. Why? Because he's God. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 says, Grace and peace to you from him who is, that's now, who was in the past and who is to come in the future. And that includes everything. That certainly isn't describing you and me. Jesus, though, is different. He is multidimensional and God our Father is multidimensional. Then we see God is multidimensional And we see this in how the Holy Spirit moves. John chapter 3, verse 8. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you don't know where the wind comes from or where it's going. That's the way it is with everyone born of the Holy Spirit. So one of the symbols of the Spirit of God in the Bible is wind or breath. It's like the wind is invisible, but it's powerful. Where we sit the house where there's nothing between us and the white tackeries, and we can have winds blowing against our house sometimes at over 100 kilometers an hour. What he's saying there is you can't put the Holy Spirit in the box. You can't control him. Or you can hear the sounds and you can see the effects. But Jesus is saying here, the Holy Spirit moves in dimensions. We do not move him. He's saying the Holy Spirit is multidimensional. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all multidimensional. And you understand that, but there's an important implication for that fact. And here it is. Number two, because God is multidimensional, I am never alone. Because God is multidimensional, I am never alone. So I am never, ever, ever alone because he's in every dimension. He's at the same time. He's in the past. He's in the present and he's in the future. He's here, he's there, he's in heaven, he's on earth. And he's in the spirit world, and he's in your world, and he's in my world. So God is in every dimension. That's omnipresent all the time. He's multidimensional. Therefore, because he's multidimensional, I am never alone. Here's what David says. He says, where could I go to escape from you? Where could I ever get away from your presence? If I went up to the heaven, you'd be there. If I lay down in the world of the dead, you'd be there. If I flew beyond the east or lived in the farthest place in the west, you'd be there to lead me. You'd be there to help me. I could ask the darkness to hide me, but even darkness is not dark for you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. That's Psalm 139, verse 7 through 12. Friends, You and I can't play hide-and-seek with God because in every place you try to hide, 
He's already there. That's a tough one. Now, what does this have to do with prayer at all? This is, a, this is what it has to do with prayer. It means that since God is everywhere, multidimensional, you can talk to him about every dimension of your life and he already understands. He gets it. Let's get practical. Because God is a multidimensional God, I want to talk to you about five dimensions of your life that you can pray about. And then we're going to apply them later and take communion if you're with us gathering in person. So, Let's talk about how to pray in five dimensions. As I pray, the first dimension when I pray is I look back, backwards to the cross. I look backward to the cross. So when I pray, I start by thanking my Father for what I'm grateful for that has happened in the past. That's a great place to start. Therefore, my heart and my mind are filled with gratitude and are focused in the right direction. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 19 says this, God paid a ransom. That's an enormous price to save you from the empty life. That's being frustrated, living blindly for poor, second-class causes and substitutes. It's about the futility and vanity of life spent out of the will of God. That's how he came to save you and why. He says, he paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So when I think about Jesus dying for me on the cross, it reminds me of three things. Number one is how deeply God loves me. How deeply. When I look at that cross, we had communion this morning in our small group. How deeply God loves me. Secondly, it reminds me how costly and how horrendous and evil sin are. Man. And then thirdly, as I look at the cross, it reminds me clearly of how completely forgiven I am. So that payment for sin was planned, friends, before God even created the world. So God's plan and his purpose is, now that I've redeemed you from sin, I've done that in order that you will be free to live for God, not for ourselves, not for our old ways of doing things. And he requires us to be representatives of his light in a world of darkness, almost like special agents with a specific mission in this world. So let's think quickly as a sidebar about four general orders for all Christians. Number one, he says to us, Pay close attention to what you look at. Pay close attention to what you look at. Because what gets your attention, what you look at is going to get you. 1 Peter 1.13 says, prepare your minds for action. Are we doing that? Keep sober in spirit. Don't be frivolous. Fix your hope, here's the word, completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. The second marching order for us Christians is this. Give greater thought to long-range consequences than to immediate pleasures. Give greater thought to long-range consequences than to immediate pleasures. Here's a third way and a third thing that we're to do each day. Start each day by renewing your sense of reverence for God. That'll help keep us on track. 
Study each day by renewing your sense of reverence for God. And friends, don't limit that to church or a small group. Start each day by spending time with the Lord yourself. And fourth, the fourth marching order. What Jesus wants us to do to fulfill his mission is to refocus on Christ throughout the day. Refocus on Christ throughout the day. Why do we need to do that? Well, as people and events and temptations and situations and frustrations cross your path, you might find, like I do, you can start to drift off an original course. Whenever that happens, realign your focus on Jesus. Even if that means scheduling short times of prayer, or what I used to do when I was in the IT world, was schedule some time to read my Bible or to have a devotion during my break or lunch. Here's a question for you. How do you know how much something is worth? Well, the answer is, doesn't matter what you or I think it's worth. The answer is, whatever somebody else is willing to pay for it. So, how much are you worth? How much am I worth? Well, when you look backwards towards the cross, what do you see? You see that God sent his son and he came to earth to die for you. So this week, you'll see, if you're tracking with us as we focus on the Lord's Prayer, how much we mean to him. So number one, I first look backwards to the cross. That's the first dimension. Second dimension, I look upwards. I look upwards to my Father's loving face. I look upwards to my Father's loving face. Now we look upwards to our Father. I have a question. Do you call God Father? Because God tells you to. He tells me to. How many times do you say, now Lord, and you're praying, or oh God, oh God. What what other terms? I want to challenge you just for this week. Those terms are fine, those are the ones. But I want to challenge you specifically this week. Would you start every prayer with the words Father? Now, why is that? Because it's a term that God wants to be called. And you'll see that this week in the upcoming study. Now, you may say, well, my father wasn't a very good father. Friend, your God isn't your earthly father. And your earthly father isn't your God. Because God is a perfect God. He's caring and close and competent. He's considerate and compassionate. He's perfect. But on the other hand, every human father is imperfect. But God is perfect. He's a perfect loving father. And he says, I want you to call me father. Notice this verse in Romans 8. You should not act like cowering, fearful slaves, since God's spirit has adopted you as children into God's family. Wow! Adopted into God's family. Now that's what's happened when you're saved. You get adopted into God's family. So now you're a child of God. You're in the family of God you adopted. Now it says, instead, rather than behaving like the first with that attitude, instead, by his spirit, we simply cry out, Abba, Father. And God's spirit affirms that we are really his children. And since we're now God's child, we're also heirs with Christ and will share in both his suffering and his glory. So in New Testament times, 
Adopted sons enjoyed exactly the same privileges as natural-born sons. And we as believers are adopted daughters and sons. So instead of having a protocol-governed relationship, God wants us to approach him personally in an intimate way, calling him Abba, Father. Now there are three important truths from this passage that God wants us to never forget. God wants my prayers to be number one, personal. Abba, Daddy. My kids call me Daddy. The word Abba is Aramaic, which means Father. It was a common term that expressed affection and confidence and trust. And Abba signifies a close and intimate relationship of a father and child together, as well as a childlike trust that a young child puts in his daddy. So becoming a child of God, friends, is the highest and most humbling privileges that are gifted to us. Because of it, we have a new relationship with God and we have a new standing before him. So instead of running from God and trying to hide our sin, like maybe Adam and Eve did, we're to run to him, calling Abba Father, and there we'll find forgiveness in Christ. So being an adopted child of God is the source of our hope. It's a security for our future, and it's a motivation to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received, Ephesians 4.1. And he says, when you come and pray, your prayers are not to be sort of flowery and ornate and beautiful and erudite and cool. Your prayers are to be simple and childlike and unpretentious. Number two, our prayer ought not only to be personal, they need to be passionate. That's the crying out. It involves your emotions. It's like your relationship with someone you love. It involves emotions. When a person falls in love, they will do anything to please the person that they love. And so for this reason, to be truly spiritual and live a life pleasing to God, we must develop a a deep friendship with Jesus, who fell in love with us so much, he went to the extent that he gave his life for us. Now, if you become intensely in love with him, to please him in everything will be natural and it will be easy for us. And falling in love with Jesus will produce an inexpressible joy, full of glory, and produce fruit. 1 Peter 1.8 Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So, friends, prayer thrives in an atmosphere of true love and devotion, and it's like a good conversation in a healthy marriage. Third, God wants my prayers to be a partnership with Him. He wants my prayers to be a partnership with Him. By the way, Ian Bounds, who's quite an authority on prayer, I love this quote that I read this week. Every mighty move of the Spirit of God in my life, in your life, he's saying there, and in the world, has had its source in the prayer chamber. Great to remember that. Great to encourage us. Friends, let me be clear though. On this point, our Father has no dependence on us. He's not dependent upon us for anything. 
but he is inviting us into partnership with him. It's a privilege on our part to join in partnership with God and to accomplish his will on this earth on the basis of his grace in prayer. Notice this verse here, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us. This is good. In our weakness, we need it. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So what it's saying is we may not know the right words to pray and to say, but the Holy Spirit does, and he can pray through us in partnership with us. That's just the way the Lord has arranged prayer in his inimitable wisdom. Now we're talking about five-dimensional praying. Firstly, number one, I pray by a look back to the cross. Second, I pray by looking up to my heavenly Father's wonderful face. And number three, I look inward to Jesus living inside of me. This one is a stunner. We have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have within us all the resources of the one who upholds the universe. Did you know that Jesus Christ lives within you? Because when you become a Christian, you st- when you step across that line, he puts his spirit in you. So what does it mean to live in his spirit, in the spirit, to walk in the spirit? What it means is to be continually conscious of the presence of Jesus Christ in you. Let's illustrate this. Suppose tomorrow I come to your place and I knock at the door, but nobody opens it. And now listen, I can hear you inside. Somebody's in there, I say to myself, but they don't want to open the door. So I bang really hard, but there were no responses. So I tweak the handle and I open the door and walk in and there you are. Hi, I say, how are you? But you don't answer me. Instead, you go on your back, your job, and you go into the kitchen. So I follow you there. And in the kitchen, I, I explain, I came to visit you to see how you are. But you ignore me, and you begin to peel the potatoes. And when you've done that, you go into another room and begin vacuuming. And again, I follow you. And this time, you go to New World. And I still follow after you. And then you get to the bank, and I go with you there also. But you don't pay any attention to me. All day I follow you, but you don't even talk to me, even though I'm with you. The next day I come to your house again, and I still follow you the whole day, and you still ignore me. And you act as if you were completely unconscious of my presence. Then things change. Sunday comes along. And you come to the service and you see me. Hi, and how are you? I'm so pleased to see you. And you act as if you'd never seen me for a long time. What's wrong, I asked. I've been with you the whole week. And that's what we do with Jesus. He's with us all of the week, but we wait until Sunday to recognize his presence. And we treat him as if he weren't with us the whole time. Friends, I have to tell you that that type of thinking is not biblically accurate. Some would say it's stronger. It's heresy. It's the complete opposite of what the new covenant is all about. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourself to see if your faith is real and growing. Test yourselves. Remember that Jesus is living in you unless you fail the test. 
So when we gather with the church, it's not just to be with Jesus for an hour or so on Sunday. It's to enjoy continual communion with him every day of the week. When we accept Christ, the Bible says he comes to live within us and he never leaves us. We are in church with him all the time, 24 hours a day. So friends, it's time we became conscious of his continual presence within us. Not just as a concept, but as actual reality. Now this verse also challenges us to do a spiritual checkup. It challenges us to ask ourselves, do our lives demonstrate that we're in the faith and that Christ is in us by obeying his will and pursuing his agenda? Friends, i found if you're not taking active steps to draw closer to God, then you're actually moving further away from him. When I do a checkup, I'm often convicted and confronted because I want to grow. And to grow, I need to change. But I can't change and grow until I'm honest with the way things are, the as-is state. The Bible says it this way in Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them, this is an and relationship here, will find compassion. Friends, your father already knows what you need to work on. He's not going, whoa, I had no idea that Ian needed to fix this area. He knows all the stuff you need to work on, and he still loves you anyway. But when you start being honest with your father, it'll take you to a new level of intimacy. That's an interesting word there, intimacy. How do you spell intimacy? Can I suggest you want to spell it this way? To understand it, into me you see. Into me you see. And the more you're honest to God, let him look into you and have an authentic discussion, the more intimate you'll be with him. And by the way, it goes for your children and your spouses. When you let somebody into your heart that deeply, so they into me see, things change. When it comes to the Father, some of you haven't been that intimate with your Father in a while. So where could we start here? Where could we start to grow in this area? Well, you might start with the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Friends, you can pray, Jesus, produce the fruit of your Spirit in my life today. Actually, what else can you teach a person if they're increasingly exhibiting these qualities of Christ's life within them? And they are walking with a heart and dwelt and guided and motivated by the Spirit of God. Life in the Spirit actually means life controlled by the Spirit in every area, from our innermost attitudes to our emotions to our outer relationships and responsibilities. So, let's recap. We look backward to the cross. We look upward into the Father's face. We look inward to Christ and me. And then the fourth dimension is I look around and ask the Holy Spirit to use me. I look around and ask the Holy Spirit to use me. So, how does this apply? Instead of criticizing and complaining or judging or moaning about what's going on in the world, why don't you say, Holy Spirit, you 
Show me what's wrong and then show me how I can make a difference. Use me. I dare you, friend, to pray that prayer. That's the fourth dimension. Notice this verse, Romans 6.13. Give yourself completely to God. Completely. Every part of you. Nothing held back. Since you've been given a new life and you want to be used as tools in the hand of God. Used, what for? His good purposes. So that's a life surrendered to the Holy Spirit. He says, I want to use you for my purposes. And friends, we cannot yield completely to God and get victory over our carnal natures. That's the pull of the world. Unless we first of all reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. So Paul says we're being given a new life. And when the Holy Spirit comes to control our lives, then we will start to bear the fruit, which we all want, of the Spirit. As Mother Teresa poignantly observed, she said, stop trying to do something great. Just do normal things with a great amount of love and God will bless that. I meet people from time to time who've got great aspirations. Can I suggest you humbly, friend, Stop trying to find some significant place to serve and make what you're doing significant because you're pouring your heart and your soul into it and God will notice. That's the fourth dimension. And by the way, the world is waiting for your contribution. So backwards to the cross, upwards in our Father's face. Inward examination and to communicate with Christ in me, then around me at the world and go, Lord, Where can you use me today? Then finally, there's a fifth dimension, and it's this. Number five, I look forward in faith to the future. I look forward in faith to the future. I've looked at the past in my prayer. I've looked up. I've looked within. I've looked around. Now I'm looking forward in my prayer. And this is a great time to talk to your Heavenly Father about your hopes and your challenges for this day or this week or this year. And, and say, Father, would you help me prioritize what matters most? What's going to count for eternity? So don't get blown off track during the day or the week or the year. Here's a great verse, a very encouraging verse. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am confident of this, that God who began a good work in you will continue to complete it until it's finished on the day of Jesus Christ. So God who began a good work in redemption will carry it on to completion throughout your lifetime and mine and then finish it up when we see him face to face when we'll be like him. Now the Holy Spirit lives in us and enables us to become more Christ-like each day. And friends, the good news is when God starts a project, he completes it. And that is an exciting future because you know he never leaves incomplete projects. This is five-dimensional prayer. And it's a way to refocus our prayer life. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Christ died for us and it shows how much we mean to you. Thank you that we belong to each other in your family. And that, Lord, your spirit, the spirit of Jesus, lives inside of us. Thank you that this life is not the end of the story and that one day when you come back, you'll judge our works and we'll be rewarded for our works. 
Friends, if some of you listening today have never opened your life to Jesus Christ, look how much he loves you. He paid the ultimate sacrifice for you. Would you accept that right now? Would you say, Jesus Christ, I don't understand it all, but as much as I know how, I surrender my life to you. Just say that in a prayer. Father, say, I want to know the purpose that you made me for. Help me live the kind of life that you made possible. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving my past. I ask you to give me a purpose for living. And I ask you to accept me into a home in heaven. I do this now, knowing that I have nothing to offer and that I throw myself on your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.